Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Thanks, Brittany Ann. Um, hey, this is an actual email that I received recently from my friend Paul. I'm going to just read it quickly. He says, You were right, Mike. That's nice to hear. Um, they were hard to read, but I did so. Very sad. This in no way diminishes my view of God. We do not worship man. However, this does tarnish my view of Ravi. But scripture is full of men and women who fell and failed. No excuse, though. What this does do is let me know that I need to be so diligent with my walk with the Lord. Now, you've never seen that. That letter was not written to you. And so if you needed to construct the meaning of it, you'd want to understand, you'd want to know, first of all, a little bit about the context. So let me just set up the context a little bit. That's a letter written to me from a friend of mine named Paul, who is a pastor who's much older than I am. And a few weeks ago, he was asking me, what do I know about this situation with Ravi Zacharias? He has been accused of some very serious uh, moral failures. And it's only now becoming public. And and this pastor, Paul, asked me, what's my view of these things? And I shared with him a couple of articles that I felt really did a fair job of summing up what, what happened. And so this is what Paul wrote to me after reading that. So that's a little bit of the context. But that alone doesn't help understand what, what Paul's getting at. Because imagine that this was like a New Testament letter and you needed to figure out like how to translate this, how to interpret it. Because it would be important for you to know what the words mean. You know, because just like just because Mike uses a certain word one way doesn't mean that everybody else uses a word the same way. And and so, you know, imagine you're a Bible scholar trying to make sense of some of the things that Paul says in this email to me. He's you know, he uses the word hard. Like he says it was they were, the, these things were hard to read. Well, so you might ask like what do you mean that they were hard to read? They were they like emotionally hard to read? Were they like actually intellectually literally hard to read like you actually couldn't make sense of it? He talks about his view of God. So, you know, you might ask, like, what is, does he literally mean that this makes it hard for him to see God? He, he uses, he says that, uh, you know, scripture is full of men and women who fell and failed. And, you know, in some settings, you might want to, you know, in order to make sense of that, you, you might go like, why did we use this, lang- this language of fell? Like, what are they falling from? And, and then he talks about his walk with the Lord. So like, you know, in another culture, another setting, you might read this letter and, and go like, hmm, I walk with the Lord. So does, does this person believe that he is actually literally walking with God? And we could go on and on in, in making sense of this email. But just so you know, communication happens when we're following the same rules about language and how language works. And we, when we have a sense of, of context. And it's, it's hard enough for somebody who didn't receive this message to make sense of this email. And it's written from one person who speaks English to another person who speaks English just a few weeks ago. Imagine if this were, imagine if we were separated by a different language. Like instead of English to English, imagine this was written in ancient, like biblical Greek and being translated into modern English. Imagine if we were separated by cultures where we're coming from like ancient Greco-Roman culture and, and it's being translated into, uh, you know, North American, Canadian, urban culture. And, and imagine if we, we were separated by time. You know, imagine if 
we're talking, a, you know, making sense of a letter that's written in AD 53 or so and, and making it make sense to us in 2021. And so just so you know, every time we read a New Testament letter, it's, it's like we're reading somebody else's email, okay? We're separated by a lot of history and context and culture and, and language. And that process, for some people, that makes them, you know, reluctant to approach the Bible. I think it's humbling. I think that should humble us. To me, the fact that we have a Bible in our language, the fact that we have a Bible, not let alone just 1 Corinthians, but the fact that we have a Bible, to me, that is a miracle, Okay, that's a miracle. And, and I, like, I just think scripture is such a gift and it is worth every bit of effort that we put into trying to understand it better. And that's important to get out of the way at the outset because this morning we begin this new study of 1 Corinthians called Table Manners for Brothers, Sisters, Saints, and Sinners. We're going to be walking through 1 Corinthians for, for some time. This is going to take us through the spring. And 1 Corinthians is important. It's a, it's a key part of the New Testament. It's an incredible book. I've been looking forward to this for, for some time. One of my favorite theologians, N.T. Wright, he has this to say about the letter. He says, A glance through 1 Corinthians is like a stroll down a busy street. All of human life is there. Squabbles and lawsuits, sex and shopping, rich and poor, worship and work, wisdom and folly, politics and religion. I think that's so true. And my goal today is just to sort of prepare us. It's sort of to, to set the table and, and get us ready for this journey through 1 Corinthians. So I'm, we're going to highlight a few things about the letter that will help us understand it. First, let's talk about life in Corinth. Okay. So if you don't know, Corinth is a city on a mountain. All right. It's depending on who you ask, there were there's anywhere from 100 to 500,000 people living in Corinth. Half of them live uh, up at the top of a mountain. The other half of them live downtown. It's a huge city geographically. It's actually much larger than than Athens, which was very, very close. You can see on this map, the red star is Corinth. The green star is Athens. They're very, very close. And for some reason, Corinth never became the culture center that Athens did. In fact, it's kind of like Toronto. In some ways, it seems to me that the way that Corinth and Athens relate are similar to how Hamilton and Toronto relate. In fact, as we go on, I think we're going to see Hamilton and Corinth have a lot of things in common. Corinth is a, it's a port city. I don't know if any of you have ever spent any time in, in Halifax, in Nova Scotia. Anybody ever been to Halifax? Heather and I have spent a good bit of time in Halifax. We love it there. In Halifax, you feel the sea, you know, you, you hear it. It's in your blood. Like, and, and, and Corinth, in many ways, is the same. Like in Corinth, everybody's story is connected to the sea. You know, you, you've got like somebody you know, somebody in your family is probably a sailor or a fisherman or a merchant down at the docks. You probably know somebody in your family or a, a close friend. You probably know someone who died in a shipwreck at sea. And, and so that's why if you live in Corinth, a big part of your life is making regular sacrifices at the temple of Poseidon. And Poseidon is the Greek god of the sea. But the main religious life in Corinth is the worship of Aphrodite. Okay, and Aphrodite is the Greek goddess of love. And this is what her temple looks like today. It's, uh, it's at the highest accessible point in Corinth. And, and if you were coming into Corinth, if you're approaching from the sea, this temple could be seen for miles because it's at the top of the mountain, 
Okay, so, so imagine sailors are sailing in, they're, har- they're entering the harbor, and from a distance they can see this temple way up at the top of the hill, and they know, man, I've been at sea for a long, long time, I'm going to go to that temple of Aphrodite, and I'm going you know, to find me some company. And, and so, in fact, this is how artists have, have revisioned this temple of, of Aphrodite. So when you think of Corinth, think of it as the meeting place for all different cultures and faiths and races and classes and languages. And some of the folks in Corinth are just passing through and some of them are putting down roots. And Corinth is a city where there is just rampant, wicked, like sin and immorality and vice. There's also people in Corinth who are there and investing in the city and they're there to like start a family. Okay. And, and, and there are some people in Corinth who hate the city. They hate being there and they can't wait to get out. But there are some people who love the city. And so again, in some ways, I think that Corinth is a city that has a lot in common with modern day Hamilton. I think it's going to be something that comes up uh, time after time as we go through this, seri- this series. The next thing that I want us to see is just how the gospel came to Corinth. It's helpful to hear the story of where this church came from. We're actually introduced to the Corinthians in chapter 18 of the book of Acts, where the Apostle Paul lands there during one of his missionary journeys. And it was about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. At the time, there are no Christians in Corinth, but there is a handful of Jews. And so so Paul's strategy as a missionary is... He's going to land there. You know, he's got a reputation. He's well-respected. He's, he's educated. And he's invited to speak in the synagogue. And so he's going to do that. And after a few times speaking in the synagogue, the Apostle Paul has made some friends. He's, and some people have been persuaded by the good news of Jesus. They've been persuaded that Jesus is the Messiah. And among them is this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. And we're going to meet them over the course of this series. And slowly one by one or family by family, the Apostle Paul is sharing the gospel with more and more people and more and more people are becoming followers of Jesus. One of the people who became a Christian was a man named Sosthenes. Sosthenes was the leader of this this synagogue in Corinth. You think of him as like the rabbi of the synagogue. He's like, he's like the pastor of the synagogue. A very, you know, for, for that, for that uh, synagogue, he was, it was, his role was, was pretty important. Very uh, influential person in the synagogue. And he became a Christian. Okay. So a lot of the Jews in that synagogue get really upset. Because they think like this is the end of our synagogue. And so they actually, the story is told in, in Acts 18 that Sosthenes was beaten up because he had converted to Christ. And it seems like that was the catalyst that these Christians needed to separate themselves from the synagogue, kind of go out on their own. And the Apostle Paul stays in Corinth about another year and a half. He's teaching them, he's sharing the gospel, he's helping them to make sense of of the Old Testament. He's, He's setting up leaders. And then eventually he moves on and he hopes for the best. Now, once Paul is gone, there are other teachers who come along. One of them is a teacher named Apollos. And Apollos comes from North Africa. And he's a great teacher. He becomes very popular. And a lot of people, they're like, they're done with Paul and they flock to Apollos and they, you know, start wearing the the Apollos t-shirt because they're such big fans of Apollos. There's all these teachers who come through and sometimes they actually contradict each other. Right? Sometimes they contradict each other, but at other times they're, it's, the people are just sort of choosing sides. They're choosing which 
which fan club they want to be part of, and they're going to follow their favorite teacher, and they're going to ignore the rest. And so as this is happening, the Corinthian church is thrown into a lot of confusion. They become very disunified, they become very divided, and very confused theologically, and so they write letters to the Apostle Paul. So the Corinthians write to Paul, and they're like, Paul, can you help us sort this thing out? Help us to make sense of what's going on here. And Paul's replies to the Corinthian leaders are what we have as the Corinthian letters. So his first response to them, his first reply is is missing. We don't have it. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians is what we call 1 Corinthians, and that's what we're going to be studying. The letter that we have today that's called 2 Corinthians is actually Paul's third and fourth letter sort of smushed together. But think of this, like Paul wrote more to the Corinthian church than he did to the Romans. You know, Paul wrote more to the Corinthians than he did to the Galatians, the Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the Thessalonians combined. So Paul really cared about this church. He really cared that they last as a church. Now, something else I think it's helpful to to see is is just why is this a study that we should be engaging on? And there's a few reasons for that. One is because it's just so candid. You know, this is as candid a letter as we need God to be with us. Because in 1 Corinthians, everything's on the table and I'm here for it. Okay, like some of those kinds of subjects that you would think maybe require a little bit more discretion. Paul just puts it right out there. You know, because Paul knows that this letter is going to be read aloud in the context of the gathered church on Sunday mornings. And, you know, there's, there's kids in the room. And this is going to get awkward because some of the people that Paul is talking about are in the room. And it's like, what if there are visitors? And so there's all these reasons why we might want to be a little bit more discreet than Paul is, but it doesn't matter. Paul's going to be really direct. He's going to be really candid about what's going on. For example, in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is going to deal with the problem of a handful of Christians who have stopped resolving their conflicts face-to-face, and instead, they're taking their problems to, to court. So imagine what it's like to be one of these Christians in the middle of a lawsuit against like a fellow member of the Church of Corinth, and your pastor reads this letter, and he gets to that part of the letter. Or in chapter 5, before this, The apostle is going to correct and rebuke a guy who has started dating his mom or his stepmom or something like that. We're not totally sure. And a handful of people in this church are okay with it. They're like, ah, let's give him a pass. He's a really cool, important guy. Imagine what it's like to be either to be that guy or to be one one of his friends when the pastor reads that part of the letter. Like, that's going to be pretty awkward. But Paul would rather deal with these things directly. He's, he's far more honest and candid, I think, than, than a lot of people in our culture might prefer. But, but I think we need that. We need this study because it is so candid. We also need it because it's so relevant for us. I mean, we're going to see as we go along that we are very much like the Corinthians. You know, we're tempted by a lot of the same things that they are. We divide for the same reasons that, that they do. We're going to see that, you know, when when marriages fail, marriages are going to fail for the same reason in our time that they failed in in those days. We're going to see that we have a lot of the same idols that they do. We're going to see that we we judge each other and we reject and, and exclude each other for a lot of the same reasons. We're going to see that we are prone to believing false teaching and false teachers for a lot of the same reasons that, that they were. 
In fact, many of the same false teachings that the Corinthians had begun to believe were tempted to believe those very same things. And so it's really interesting that that as separated as we are by culture and, and language and time, this letter to the Corinthians could have easily been written to us. It could easily have been written to us. It's, it's as relevant a letter as we can ask for. I think it's also helpful to study because it is so full of grace. It's so full of grace. It, it shows us how the gospel applies to these various crises and, and conflicts and problems. Paul, as he approaches this church and all these various situations, he's like, they've got bad attitudes, they've got bad ideas, they've got really bad behavior, and I need to correct it. And how's Paul going to go about that? Now, you'd think it'd be easy for somebody in Paul's position to use threats. Like, if, if, you don't, if you sinners don't change, you're gone. Like, I'm going to have nothing else to do with you. He could, like, totally shame them. You know, he could go... Do you guys realize what the other churches across Europe and Asia are saying about you? Do you know what they're saying about you? He could use shame. He could, he could play the apostle card. He could go like, do you realize who I am? You need to listen to what I'm talking about because I'm an apostle. He doesn't do that. That's not the approach that he takes. He takes the approach of grace. And in each situation, in each conflict and crisis, Paul is going to be like, you guys, this isn't who you are. This isn't who you are. This isn't Christianity. This isn't what the gospel says. Let me remind you of who Jesus is. Let me, let me remind you of what Jesus has done. And, and, and this is why you can change. This is why it doesn't have to be this way. So it's so full of grace. And I think it's going to be really helpful for us. But the last reason we, I think we need to study 1 Corinthians is because it is about being the church. It is about how we will be the church. Now, I want to spend a minute looking at just this section of the letter, this, this introduction, which Brittany Ann read just a, a few minutes ago. The passage is on the screen, and there's just a few things I want us to observe about it as we go. First, let's observe how Christ-centered the introduction is. Just in these nine verses, there are something like 12, 13 different references to our Lord Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus our Lord. Like everything that Paul wants the Corinthians to understand, it's all grounded in a proper understanding of who Jesus is. Like if you can just appreciate the person and the work of Jesus, then these things are going to work out for us. We're going to get through this. And I actually think if this was, if just these nine verses, if this was all the Bible that we had, we would actually know a ton about Jesus. In fact, I'm going to encourage you to take these nine verses and maybe in your, in your devotions this week, sit down with your journal and your Bible, write out these nine verses and just say, ask yourself, if this was all the Bible that I had, what would this tell me about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done? It's going to be a really great exercise for you. But another thing that I don't want us to miss about this section is uh, how inclusive he is of these Corinthians. Even though he knows how wayward and, and how uh, worldly they've become. Like he talks about Sosthenes, our brother. He talks about God, our father. And how Jesus is our Lord in verses 2 and 7 and, and, and 8 and 9. And, right? Think of that. Jesus is our Lord. It's not like Jesus is my Lord, but he's not your Lord because you guys are so sinful. Some people might say he, it's like he's ignoring their behavior. He's not. Paul knows that as out of control as they were, they are still the church. They're still the part of the body of Christ. As he writes to the Corinthians, he's writing to family. 
Okay, these are his brothers and sisters. In fact, he goes further. Paul knows he's writing to the church. He's talking to the church. He's, he calls them the church of God at Corinth. Like, you're not just a church. You're not just a local church. You are now, you are part of the church. You are a, you are a, a manifestation. You're a tangible expression of the presence of Jesus on earth. Okay? You are the church. This is who you are. In verse 2, you're sanctified. You're saints. In verse 5, you have been enriched in, in Christ. In verse 7, you have been given every spiritual gift. In verse 8, you're being strengthened in Christ. And in verse 9, you have fellowship with Christ. That's who Paul thinks he's talking to. And that's really important, even though he knows all the ways that the Corinthians have gone off the rails in their beliefs and their attitudes and their behavior, Paul believes he's talking to the church. And that's important. And I'll tell you why. It's because I, you know, I've been in ministry long enough and I have been involved in enough conflicts where I've been trying to resolve conflicts between believers. I've done that enough times to know that a lot of Christians are not nearly as inclusive as Paul here. You know what I mean? Like, think about it. In your understanding of the church, who is included? Who do you include in the church, capital C church? And who is excluded from your vision of the church? Like, for a lot of us, I think that church is, it's all the people who believe what I believe. The church is all the people who agree with me on all of the primary and secondary doctrines. That's the church. For some people, church is the people who take the same political positions as I do. They take the same, you know, they vote like me. They're passionate about the same issues that I'm passionate about. They get along well with the same kinds of people that I get along with. And they, they don't get along with the same kinds of people that I don't get along with. That's the church. You know, the, the, the church is the people who have victory over the same sins that I have victory over. And they don't touch the kinds of things that I don't touch. And the the church is the people who have great patience and compassion and empathy on people who happen to struggle with the very sins that I happen to struggle with. That's the church in the view of a lot of people. So like if it was up to a lot of Christians, our church, our, our community would simply include people who are just like us. That's who it would include, and it would exclude everybody who isn't like us. And that's why this letter is so important. It's so important because every week we're going to encounter a different crisis, okay? A different conflict that's, that's relevant for our time. We're going to encounter different saints and different sinners who need to be corrected. And I'm just warning you now, some of the things that we encounter in this letter are going to be hard to hear. They'll be hard to hear, and they're going to be, it's going to be hard to understand how that can be true. We're going to come to that. And the easiest thing for us to do when we encounter those hard passages is to go, man, we are so separated by language and culture and time and, and context, so we can't understand what Paul meant there. We're going to skip that part. And I'm just saying from the outset, we're not going to do that. We can't do that, whether it's me teaching or somebody else. We owe it to you. We owe it to each other to be truthful and honest and humble and do the best we can uh, interpreting this letter for our context and applying it to us correctly and faithfully and saying not less than what this text says and also not more 
And I think that if we do, if we do that, I think it's going to be so fruitful for us as a community and for our mission. You know what I mean? You know, back when we started meeting in the early, early, early days of Benediction Church, you might remember that we spent some time kind of doing a high-level study of First and Second Corinthians. Do you guys remember that? At the end of each study and discussion, we would go, so based on what God has said here, what is a church? What's a church supposed to be and supposed to do based on what God has said here in this text? And, and based on what he's said there, what is, a, what is a Christian? Like, what's a Christian supposed to be like? What's a, what is a disciple supposed to do and think and, and feel? And, and we caught a lot of really important ideas when we, when we did that together. And, and, and this, as we engage in this study of 1 Corinthians, this is a chance for us to finish what we started those years ago. And to ask, like, how do, we make, how, do, how do we make room at the table for one another when we are all saints and we are all sinners at the same time? And how do we make space for new ones? How does that even work? And you know, the, as we go, it's just important to say, nobody is saying that our differences don't matter. You know, that, like, that's not Christianity. We're not supposed to ignore our, our differences. And nobody is, nobody is saying that sin doesn't matter either. You know, that's not the gospel. But the reason that we can gather at the same table, it's not that we're all the same. It's not that we're all in this together. It's not that we're not so bad after all. None of that is the good news. The good news is that every one of us is a sinner in lots of ways. And every one of us is also a saint in lots of other ways. And none of those ways match. We are not a natural fit. But everything that needed to happen so that we could be forgiven and could be formed into a church, into a community, all of that has been done for us in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's why we're doing this. That's why we're doing this. We're doing this because sometimes you think that they don't belong. But sometimes they think that you don't belong. And sometimes you think that you don't belong. And I'm so glad it isn't up to us. My dream here is that as we work through this study of 1 Corinthians, we're going to learn new ways to be the church for each other and for this city. That we're going to learn new ways to trust and to obey Christ. And, And because we trust and obey Christ, that we're going to make a little bit more space at the table for one another and for those who aren't here yet. We're going to learn some table manners together. Okay, amen? Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.